You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday the 26th of August. It's bank holiday weekend here in the UK. It's a glorious morning now here in TW11. We're set for a good few more days of lovely weather. It was a pea super first thing as I was walking in Bushy Park today and blew the cobwebs away ahead of what is in Britain at any rate a fairly low-key weekend's racing. That doesn't stop me from talking to the man who trains the favourite for the feature group two at Goodwood tomorrow, Charlie Hills. He'll also outline some plans for runners for the Breeders' Cup towards the end of the season amongst uh, other major targets. I'll be speaking to Devon-based trainer Rod Millman. He is really an alchemist with a racehorse. He can turn base metal into gold. He's done it again with Woolhampton, who's one of the leading fancies to pick up a big pot at Newmarket tomorrow. And you know, there's a selling race being televised on ITV this weekend, would you believe it? But if you rewind 12 months, that was a race that has yielded a fantastic story. And you'll be hearing more of that from owner Gary Robinson, who will be joining me uh, from his daughter's birthday party at Euro Disney later on in the show. Cornelius Lysett <laughs> is with me, chuckling away, is with me this morning. Uh, so, so if I want to get your autograph early in the morning, <laughs> Yeah. Is that park is where to to uh, to find you? Because I know you don't, you know, you lie to your, you uh, keep your light hidden under bushels. But that's obviously the place to get autographs. You w- you would have had to look pretty hard this morning. The fog was so thick as I was as I was walking. Yeah, but that that's that's just about the the place. That striking sort of thing on the weather, isn't it? That and you were talking about it on the pod yesterday that it was pouring down with rain in your part of the world yesterday, and how you know this Saturday. Um, in Britain is, is as you say, not one of the great Saturdays of the year. Ground has changed a little bit. I think there's going to be quite a lot of, uh, you know, you've just got to keep, keep an eye on exactly what's going on. Goodwood, soft, good to soft in places. Uh, Hamilton today, good to soft. Newmarket will have dried out a bit, no doubt, but so on the soft side as well. So, um, yeah, you've got to keep your wits about you to try and sort out racing on this particular weekend. And if you do love international racing, do make sure that you watch all the action from Saratoga. If you're in Britain, it'll be on Sky Sports Racing. Obviously, you can see it all across the United States. Um, that is an absolute must-see evening tomorrow with the running of the Travis Stakes, the Alan Jerkins, the Sword Dancer, where Aidan O'Brien runs Broom, and all sorts of other goodies. Ryan Moore is going over there as well to ride in the £750,000 turf race. So um, got to keep your eye on that. With our with our eye on what's happening this weekend and, and the smallish fields in the stakes races, Cornelius, our, our focus is sharpened yet further on the fixture list that we spoke about extensively on the podcast mm. yesterday with Richard Wayman. Mark Johnston, in an interview on Racing TV last night from Carlisle with Niall Hannity, he weighed in having trained his 5,000 and first winner. It's been picked up by the trade paper this morning, the Racing Post. Uh, what's he been saying? He was concentrating more on the, the changes to minimum values. And I won't go through all of those because there, there's, there's a lot of detail there. Uh, he described uh, the uh, the upturn in um, minimum values as pitiful. 
you know, basically said this will continue to be a massive problem. We'll continue to uh, send horses from the UK off around the world to find better prizes as they're sold for very good money. And he said at the end of this interview, the answer is relatively simple. Uh, I don't know that that is necessarily the case, but he he believes that uh, there are big changes that need to be made to the race programme in order to improve things. But as we discovered when the fixture list was um, was uh, published this week, it's going to be pretty similar in 2023. I heard this interview yesterday with Richard Wayman on the uh, on the on the podcast. And I thought it was, it was a good interview, wasn't it? He had lots to say, but there were lots of different strands. I thought there were some real positives to be taken out of there. He kept on saying, you know, people recognise there are issues. But then on the other hand, you know, as soon as he started talking about a strategic review and a two-day meeting of, not race meeting, admin meeting in September, I, I slightly thought, well, you know, why, why have we only just come out with this now? You know, the chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority has been... Uh, in post since January of 2021, was uh, announced as the next CEO this time two years ago. And now we're, what, more than 18 months in, and we're now talking about more strategic reviews. When, when she was appointed, Julie Harrington, she said, I know how important collaboration across racing has been over the past few months, and I look forward to working with colleagues from all parts of the sport. Now, she obviously said that because she knows the importance of collaboration, but she also knew all about the warring parties. And if she didn't know about that in August two years ago, she certainly knew it pretty soon after going into post. And now we're 18 months later, and we're now talking about 2023 fixture list being much the same as 2022, uh, this strategic uh, review in September to try and get something sorted out for 2024. Gosh, we are going round and round in circles a little bit, aren't we? And I, I was struck by a uh, bit of emphasis that, um, that Richard Wayman put during his interview. He talked about the hamster wheel uh, and the importance of being united. And then he used the word, if something can be sorted out. He made it. He made it very clear. He wanted to get. He wanted us to get off the hamster wheel. To say that, break the circle, whatever you want. But absolutely. But he then used that word, big, the big if. And then he, the other thing he said, and I, he's a really good guy, Richard Wayman. But he said people don't really care what Richard Wayman thinks. They they care what the customers want and the investors want. Well, actually, along with Julie Harrington, we do really need and want to know what they think because they need to have the personality to have the the, the to, to come up with a direction to sort this out you've got the race courses you've got the trainers you've got the owners you've got all the uh various parties and just saying well we need everyone to work together and need to go forward is fine and get off the hamster wheel is fine some personality needs to be to be coming to do the directing as well because without it um, not, nothing is going to be achieved. And it was really striking listening to Bill Farnsworth uh, or reading Bill, Bill Farnsworth's quote, which you quoted during the interview, talking about, you know, the crippling state we're, we're all in. The British Horse Racing Authority needs to be given the chance to have the authority uh, to, to, uh, to uh, direct all, all this. But equally, the people at the top of it need to have the personality to achieve that. And this is a big opportunity, therefore, for, for Richard and for Julie and for, for Joe Somerville-Smith. On a, on a semi-related note, I was quite interested that the, 
the the next plan for the jockey club to to do something quite interesting in Newmarket, build a, a new all weather venue, maybe some new starter yards, some homes to go with it, has has just inched on to the to the next phase. I wonder what sort of reaction that was that was garnering in Newmarket. I had a, a little dig and. Um, much as David Mills has written in the Racing Post, it's not going to happen anytime soon, that's for sure. But they want the concept to be in the mix, so it leaves it open for a 20-year period in case they want to go down that road. But um, is it something that appeals to you, Cornelius? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I think the the jockey club playing such a big role and being proactive is is just really significant. Obviously, the jockey club has been pro- proactive to one extent or another in Newmarket since the early 17th century. Uh, well, since it started, but the, its equivalent since the early 17th century. Uh, and, you know, th- this strikes me as senior intelligence people uh, at the Jockey Club, incl- you know, Jockey Club members, Jockey Club executives, no doubt as well, you know, trying to get in the driving seat. The, 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 what they don't want to do is to find something happening in Newmarket and they haven't really got control over it. Here, they're coming up with a, a real vision and Amy Stark is the absolutely the right person as the as the jockey club's main civil servant, if you like, in, in Newmarket to have her, her hand on the steering wheel here. And so we're talking about, if you've missed it, we're talking about an all, uh, the, the area is called Southfields Farm. It's sort of uh, I'm, um, it's sort of not very far from the rolling mile, sort of over towards where Tesco's is, if you happen to come down uh, into Newmarket in that particular direction. So we're talking about an all-weather track. We're talking about potentially a really, real groundbreaking training facility. Could be big opportunities for uh, for young trainers with starter yards or for trainers based away from Newmarket to have uh, what you'd call satellite yards uh, so the training facility the floodlit all-weather track uh, there's part of it is uh, to do with a country park uh, which is considered very important in the area and there is housing and that's obviously something that has caused a lot of controversy in Newmarket but the jockey club would be right in on the act there sort of being sort of right in the the front seat of the of trying to uh, make certain it worked in the best possible way. And this strikes me as really interesting and imaginative. And the Jockey Club doing its uh, doing its thing, uh, we're, we're nowhere near even planning or anything like that. You know, th- this is a vision for, well, I, I think it's in the Racing Post, minimum sort of four years ahead. But I think we're probably talking the next decade if one's completely honest, uh, and it's gone forward for the West Suffolk, which is the area concerned, the sort of overall local plan, and so so it's got it's got many many plus points, including the Jockey Club absolutely being fully involved in the whole uh, because something's going to happen. One one assumes in and there's going to be further development of New Market, and the Jockey Club will be right there uh, with a with a big voice. Well, the biggest race in the UK this weekend is the Celebration Mile at Goodwood tomorrow. Mutter Sabek is a pretty short price favourite for that. He's been knocking on the door since he was a very unlucky loser at Sandown earlier in the season. Charlie Hills trains him. Uh, Charlie, this looks a golden opportunity for, for Mutter Sabek. Um, it does, yeah. I mean, the race is cut up. Uh, but, you know, having said that, he still hasn't won his Group 2 yet, or Group 3. So, it, um, he's shown he's got the ability to to win a race like this and we're happy with him at home and the track shouldn't be a problem either. Do you think he gets a, a truly run mile? 
yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I certainly do. He's got a good cruising speed, and uh, I think a mile is not a problem at all. And the horses are running very well again after that. A little bit of a lull just in the in the middle of the the summer there. Uh, but ov- overall, how happy are you with the year? Uh, it's been good. Yeah, you know, it's pretty pretty consistent. The horses have been in great form. Like just like you said, they look they sort of went just missed a little month there, uh, but they seem back in good form. And look, it'd be nice just to you know Mister Sasabek to to win at the weekend, and then we could hopefully look um, look at maybe a Group One with them later on in the year. You had horses run really well in top company lately. Cardem, I thought, ran another good race in the Nunthorpe. What's next for him? Yeah, he re- he ran great there, and yeah, you know, just a little bit. Uh, the track was just a bit churned up really after you know, four days of racing. Probably didn't suit him ideally, just a bit loose on top. Uh, but um, can't complain how he ran. Uh, we'll see. I mean, he's he's in the Haydock. Sprint Cup, uh, but you know, straight after the race, we sort of thought Flying Five would suit him, but just give us extra time really between races. So Flying Five at the Curra for him, and Pogo's been on the go all year. I guess you need the ground to stay on top for for him. Where might he go next? Well, that's why we got probably got a little bit greedy because you know a couple of weeks time the ground might not be um, to his look um, might not just suit him. So yeah, we we put him in again, and he ran a terrific race at York. Uh, very pleased with him. Um, try and give him as good a freshen up as we can really to maybe look at Newmarket he goes well at Newmarket so like the Joel Stakes something like that uh, Would you consider something like the Breeders' Cup Mile for him? Um, yeah certainly keep, uh, keep an eye on it uh, I think that should, would suit him as long as the ground stayed you know, fast um, certainly yeah, keep, keep an eye on that, that race Another one I wanted to ask you about was Sydney Arms Chelsea. I thought she was really quite impressive when she won the pre-six perfections, the Group Three at, at Deauville. She's got a Phillies Mile entry. Is that likely for her? Uh, probably not. I think we're we're sort of leaning now towards the Rockville. Um, I think just keep her at seven furlongs at this stage. And actually, uh, just um, I'm always saying that he felt like uh, a Breeders' Cup race might suit her. You know, on a turn fast ground if um, the ground's fast so we might look at that as well uh, Charlie Hills there who saddles Mutasabek in tomorrow's celebration mile Cornelius Lysett is still with me uh, Cornelius I know you wanted to um, have a word about, about John Budden who very sadly died earlier this week uh, tell everybody who didn't know John who he was and how he, he left a, a, a real impact on people yeah John Budden was um, a uh, he'd been a he'd been a schoolmaster uh, always mad about racing and sort of late 1980s got very into uh, the the broadcast side of racing in uh, that he was a race course commentator with a very distinctive voice. Uh, and uh, he was also involved when I first knew him, what was considered at the time a cutting edge telephone commentary service in the late 80s, early 90s called Race Call. He was involved there. Um, and uh, latterly, he was involved in William Hill Radio, also bought a television, very well-known figure uh, in Cumbria, uh, to do where where he was ultimately based, he'd lived in Kent, but uh, where he was ultimately based, he was a massive fan of Gordon W. Richards, father of Nicky Richards, an absolute jump racing legend of the twentieth uh, century. Um, and um, he was just a thoroughly good, good guy. He's died uh, sadly at the age of eighty three. Uh, he would agree himself because he he loved cricket as well as racing. He had an extremely good innings, very well played. 
over the years. Very well-known figure, particularly on um, racing's Northern Circuit, regular at Carlisle, used to be the paddock commentator at Air, often to be seen at Muscle all over the place. But to me, I will remember John Budden most uh, as uh, this uh, commentator with this very distinctive voice. And he used to love to have a have a fancy in a race. The Budden Fiver, he used to say. The Budden Fiver is on XYZ, quite often trained by uh, Gordon W. Richards. Uh, and um, if he was commentating and the Budden Fiver was about to be multiplied, you could, well, I felt you could always hear in his commentary, he used to use this expression, absolutely no danger whatsoever. Uh, which uh, meant that um, uh, that the horse that he uh, that he fancied, I always felt that meant that the horse he fancied was just about to win. Sadly, his eyesight faded in uh, recent years, but he was a, a great character, uh, and he will be very much missed. And there is no greater accolade for anyone than this that I read towards the end of David Carr's. Uh, report about uh, his sad passing in the Racing Post today. He writes, It is a measure of Budden's status and popularity that when a radio station in Cumbria in 2014 held a poll to find the greatest Cumbrian, John Budden was on the ballot alongside Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy, Trick Spotter, and Catherine Parr, the last wife of Henry VIII. Say no more. Now, ITV viewers this Sunday at Goodwood have got a rare treat because there's a selling race being broadcast live on the main channel. Now, in case you think, well, I'll just turn that off, you'd be well-minded to look back 12 months to the very same race, which was, on the surface, a pretty uncompetitive affair. There were only three runners, and the winner, amazingly, Agaggio, was was bought in the subsequent auction by owner Gary Robinson for 23000 And we were all sitting there thinking, who is this guy? Has he taken leave of his senses? Um, Gary Robinson is with me now to tell you about what has worked out to be an inspired, inspired piece of business. But Gary, it's fair to say, isn't it, that not an awful lot of thought had gone into this beforehand. It was a bit of an impulse buy. 100% Nick it was um, you know we'd, we'd gone for a day out good would be my local uh, course we had uh, you know we saw the race and then I decided that it was worth buying the horse that was up for sale and what made you suddenly think I need that horse <clears throat> well if I'm honest all, all it came down to was a simple theory that he got his head in front that day and hopefully do the same for me and I have to be honest, you know, there isn't anybody that wouldn't want to own a Gaggio at the minute, I don't think. We've been so lucky with him. You know, he's a dear little fellow. Uh, we'll be at six, um, six runs this year, four wins. And then last year, before he had a rest over the winter, he'd run three times and placed two of those. So, you know, he's gone to the yard. He's with Gary Moore. They think so much of him at the, um, at the yard. And, you know, he's a delightful guy. There's another little angle to this as well, which is that, when he, I remember that day so vividly. He walked into the paddock and he was in the paddock for about five seconds before he was taken down on the horse walk and mounted on the track because he was a, you know, considered to be a, a certifiable barn pot. He was wearing a hood. The, the leeches had given him one run over hurdles and he didn't fancy that gig at all. And I thought, oh my goodness, why would you, why would you buy a, a horse like that? Did you know anything about, about his sort of past history? No, I didn't. I didn't know that at all. But, um, you know, I mean, he went down early and um, and everyone would say he was a bit of a troublemaker. But then, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm a, 
a newbie to, to race horses, but everyone says you take them to a different environment, treat them differently, and then the horse can completely turn themselves around. And I think it's fair to say with the Gaggio that that's that's what happened. You know, he he came in from France. He was really really busy last summer, and then actually we we had a little bit of trouble with him. Um, when we ran him his first time, I remember um, he, he ran his first time over hurdles at Plumpton and I was watching them trying to put him in the van and, and I think it took them about an hour, an hour and a half to get him back in the van just to take him back to, to Gary's yard. But since then, and and uh, he's, he's just a different horse. I went to um, Gary's yard in January and I remember speaking to Josh as I got there and Josh said, this this horse is totally different. You know, the rest has done him absolutely brilliantly. He's in a great shape and he's going to do really well for you this year. And that's been proven that he has. And he runs tomorrow at Goodwood on nearly the anniversary of the um, of the Sellers race the day before. So, you know, hopefully he'll do well for me there again. And it would be quite special. And the fact that he's won two hurdles and then he's gone back to Goodwood, the, the scene of the crime, if you like, and he's won two more races for you. How much pleasure has that given you to, to go somewhere like that, a grade one track, and you've got a horse who could end up being a bit of a specialist there? It, well, I think he still is called specialist uh, at the minute, Nick. If you look the the Goodwood stats up, he's um, he's two of two this year. I think he's only the same with, with Royal Scotsman. So, um, but really, he's three of three because he went there last year and won as well. So, I'd be absolutely elated if he um, if he won there tomorrow. Unfortunately, I can't be there to um, to watch it tomorrow, and I'm away for the race on um, on Sunday. But you never know. I'm sending a friend of mine, and let's see what wins on um, on Sunday. Ah, so you might you might do this every year by the winner of the of the of the Agagio seller every year. Well, I don't know about every year, but but certainly it makes you think if you can have this much fun. With, with a horse like Gaggio, then who knows what might come through. But I, I know the rules now, and I know that I'll have to be ready to take him away from, from Goodwood on, um, on Sunday afternoon, which, you know, people would say is silly. But I, I just assumed that you would send him back with the, um, with the owning trainer and then get him collected in the week. But I've, I've learned a lot since last August. Yeah, that's right. You, so you, you, you bought the horse when your wife was in the loo. That's right, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, she texted me and said, do not bid on that horse. So it was a bit of a green light, really, to bid on the horse. If somebody says, don't bid on the horse. <clears throat> and then the gavel went down and he was mine. So so naively thinking that we could pick him up in the week. But that just isn't how these races work, which I've learned since. So. Absolutely brilliant. And, and, and Gary Moore was only too happy to, to take him. Gary, uh, enjoy your time away. Uh, happy birthday to your daughter. Um, I, I would, I'd imagine that Mrs. Robinson will be confiscating your phone uh, midway through midway through Sunday afternoon. Thanks for talking to me. Nice one, thanks, Nick. Cheers. Well, if you take a deeper dive through the racing this weekend, there's all sorts of little points of interest. The £100,000 Tattersall Somerville auction stakes represent a massive opportunity for people who haven't laid out fortunes on horses to get a huge return back. It takes place at Newmarket. That's where you'll find the Tattersall's Somerville sale taking place next week. It's been a very happy hunting ground for trainer Rod Millman, who has Woolhampton as a leading fancy in tomorrow's race. She's already got black type this season from a modest outlay. So has Cuban Mistress, already a listed winner this season. She didn't cost very much. Betty's Hope was a, a sales winner of a few years ago that was a, a very cheap purchase at 3000 Tagline has got black type this season for the stable as well. If there's someone who can um, really provide a sure touch and be a bit of an alchemist with these relatively inexpensive horses, Rod, it is you. What's your secret? <laughs> 
Well, you need a bit of luck, luck. But I'm very lucky. I've got some really good contacts with a lot of the studs now, and um, they often uh, put put a horse forward for you to look at. And um, I am very fussy what I buy. I always try and buy a sound horse. But most of my clients, they want a horse that's going to run regularly throughout the season. And it's okay buying, buying a very well-bred horse with a few faults, but generally they won't run very often. So the first thing I look for is a sound horse, you know, something that will run regularly. And so that's it. Owners want action. Is that what you found over years of training? If you can get them to the races and having fun, you've got half the battle won. Well, they'd soon have a horse that could run in a 0 to 70 and run eight or nine times in a season. Then something you've got to really wait for the soft ground and maybe only run two or three times a season. Uh, my, the sort of owner I attract wants to have regular racing, really. Um, I, I don't go to the sales with, with a short list of um, pedigrees to look at. I just go to the sales, I look around, walk around, and often I've seen some of my best horses just being led around when some when they're being shown for somebody else. I mean, old Master Carpenter, I just saw him walking across the courtyard before he went in the ring, um, and he didn't make his reserve, and I went and bought him privately afterwards, and it's just things like that. I mean, the good horses just, they they stand out sometimes at the sales, you know? And you've obviously got a short touch with fillies as well. If you can get black type on a filly, what sort of value are you, are you putting, for example, on a Woolhampton or a Cuban mistress? What would be your... How many more times do you think an owner could get for his for his outlay? Oh well, I mean, both those fillies are now worth six figures, you know. Um, and the good thing about having a filly, if a filly gets black type, and say it loses its form later on, you still got black type to sell. Whereas if you have a colt or a gelding that may have a high rating at one time, as soon as they've lost their form, their their value is gone. So at least with a filly, I mean, you take horses like Cuban Mistress. She's um, won a listed race now, so that'll be on her pedigree for the rest of her life. Now, we're going to going to Doncaster next week to have a go at a group, a group race. And if she could get placed in that or win that, it will put a lot of value on her. And just supposing I'll probably be tempted to keep her a bit longer, I'll, I'll probably run her again next year. And if she does well, great. But say she doesn't train on, she's still got that pedigree in there to sell on to someone, you know? Woolhampton tomorrow looks to have a, a really good chance in this in this hundred thousand pound Tattersall Somerville auction stakes. It would be some way to break break her maiden uh, uh, with a first prize of fifty four thousand to the winner. Uh, yes, it would. I mean, on the form, she's got the best form going into the race, but the draw hasn't been awfully kind to her because there's a lot of pace on the other rail. I mean, Eddie's boy that beat us in the Super Sprint. He needs a rail to run up against, and they've been given the best draw for that purpose, so he'll be hard to beat. But um, my filly stays on really well. In both her recent races, she stayed on strongly in the final furlong. So I'm hoping the sixth furlong might just bring her a bit more improvement in her. But she's a really nice filly, very sensible filly. Um, and she's, you know, really easy to train. And that's the thing about fillies, you know, I think because we're based down here and we've got our own facilities, they don't get too worked up, so it keeps them nice and relaxed. Whereas in the big yards, they've got to go across the downs at Newmarket and everything. It's a lot more relaxed here, you know? And, and no doubt you'll be off to that same sale next week, the Tassel Somerville Yearling sale to, to, to stock up again. It's obviously one that suits you well. Well, it, it's the horses are not particularly well-bred, a lot of them, so they're not going to make big money. But there's a lot of athletic types. I mean, the sale has improved a fair bit over the last few years. I mean, 
When I bought Betty's Hope, she was one of the best sources in the sale and I, I gave 3,000 for her. So we went back the next year thinking that we'd do this again because there was quite a few nice horses in the previous sale. And unfortunately, I thought I'd go and buy a couple for about six or 7,000 and the prices just went sky high. And I backed out of several horses that made 10 or 15,000, which went on to be really good top-class racehorses. So the sale always throws up some really nice fillies or nice horses. And it's a, it's a new sale, but it's, um, it's got, got everyone's imagination, I think, after the last few seasons. Uh, Rod Millman and before Rod, Gary Robinson, uh, two men who have high hopes of recording really notable successes this week. I'm hoping that Gary can not keep his hands in his pocket and, and buys the selling winner again and would very much like to see Rod Millman scoop that big prize. What a what a sure touch he's got, Cornelius, at delivering owners real value. And it's great to hear upbeat, positive stories about how you get the best out of the sport when we spend most of the time working out what's wrong with it. 31 winners, I think it is, so far this year. Uh, the, it, real family affair. Do you see Patrick rode another winner at a decent price, his son Patrick? Uh, at, was it 10 to 1? It was a decent price anyway this week. If you see an amateur rider's race, they're mainly in the south of England with Mr. P. Millman riding in it. They're always worth following. And then James, who also works for Racing TV with, with um, both parents as well. Uh, it's a, a real family affair, garnering plenty of winners, 31 so far this year. I was just looking through the numbers here. Rod has been going at it. He's been going at it for 30 something years. I can't quite, it doesn't look as though he's old enough. So he's well on course for his best ever season. And it's very often getting good value out of cheap, relatively cheaply bought horses. So absolutely bravo and keep up the good work. And uh, if you are trying to find winners, if you look at those Millman horses, you, they're always worth considering. Uh, and if you see an amateur riders races with Patrick riding, always have a good look at that one. I know you, you're very keen to spot young talent. You've identified good apprentices well ahead of most people, Cornelius. Uh, who have you got your eye on this season? Uh, clearly, and this year it's Harry Davis and Benoit de la Sette are, you know, miles in front, I think, in the in the apprentice jockey's table. So they will uh, continue, hopefully, to progress and will be fully-fledged riders next year. But this is the time to spot the ones who are the Harrys and the Benoits who will be the Harrys and the Benoits of 2023. And there are two names that have struck me in particular just of late. One is Connor Planis, um, who's riding uh, a lot from Newmarket. Well-judged wins recently at Sandown and at Newbury. And then there's a guy who rode his ninth winner of his career at Chelmsford last night, as we record this, so on Thursday evening, called Taylor Fisher. Um, and uh, Taylor is uh, a guy I spotted on the pony racing circuit at Point of Points in the um, southwest of England. When I say I spotted him, as did everyone else on the occasion, I think one was at a point to point to a place called Fleet Park, uh, not too far from Plymouth. Uh, and this guy was riding with real confidence in his pony races, uh, giving interviews with real confidence afterwards. Rode his ninth winner last night, horse called Mooka Magic. Uh, for Gay Kellaway at Chelmsford. He's with Archie Watson now as Taylor. He's the stepson of the trainer, Joe Tickle. Um, Joe's partner, Danny, is his is his mum. Uh, and Taylor Fisher is definitely a name to think of. And the thing about last night's win at Chelmsford was that he won. William Buick was second. Ryan Moore was third. Jamie Spencer was fourth. And Andrea Razzini finished fifth and, and fifth of five. So that was a, a big moment for Taylor Fisher. And uh, he's worth keeping an eye on, as is Connor Planis, I believe. 
Right, it is not Tuesday, it is Friday, but you're getting a bonus trip around the Bloodstock world this week with our friends at Weatherby's. Weatherby's Stallion Book, of course, is the only truly global stallion reference, which along with its accompanying Global Stallions app and Racing Post website exposure mean there's only one place to research stallions. Entries for the 2023 editions are now being taken, so contact the Weatherby's team to book your stallion. Entries, we're off to Germany. Today, we're off to Germany again next Tuesday. Today, we are visiting with Gestut Brümerhoff and the husband and wife team of Gregor and Julia Baum, who've got a, a terrific story, have built this stud up from scratch, and their crowning moment, their crowning glory was the victory of their homebred Dane Dream, of course, in the Prix de Luc de Triomphe. She followed up in the King George. They let her go relatively cheaply, but she will always have pride of place uh, with the, the team at Gestut Brumerhoff. At the moment, the colours are being carried to success by November, who was fourth in the Duke of Cambridge to Saffron Beach at Ascot. And uh, Artistica is a big runner in Germany this weekend. Gregor, Julia, thanks so much for joining us. Perhaps you'd tell us uh, to, to start with, how this amazing journey began. Yeah, we found it to start in 89. Uh, Julia was really quite young and I was 22. So um, it was a crazy idea to found a start. We thought it would be a business case. Uh, later, we recovered that's uh, one of the best things in the world to do, but not to earn money. We were both very young, as Gregor said, when we founded the stud, and we did not have any experience of running a stud bar farm before. Gregor had racehorses, but we never were in contact with um, bloodstock. So um, we hired qualified staff to do so, and we were only showing up on the weekend and enjoying the foals and everything, and we had our own jobs. Like Gregor was building up his real estate business, and I was still in university. And we never had really the ambition to do a stud farm all by ourselves. But um, to make a long story short, it, it just did not work out how we planned it. And so after 10 years, we asked ourselves this, this question, do we continue or do we quit? And um, we were very frustrated about solving problems on the weekend, um, like controlling everything, what has not happened during the week when we were not on the stud as we were living in Hanover. I, I, I told her that uh, she has to decide because the first ch child was born and she has to decide to move to the countryside because I had my business in the city. So it was a big step for her, but she decided to do herself. Yeah, and then you went to US, huh? Yeah, but it was a question of how to get experience. And in Germany, it was not really possible because... Um, Consider, considering learning, it was a, like a closed shop. And so John Clark from the Irish Nationalist, that he was so kind and um, was sending me over to his brother, Gregory Clark from Shedwell Stud. And um, I was able to visit some farms and veterinarians and learn from them. And so I came home with all this experience and I was very inspired what I've seen and learned. And then we started here with a young team with only our own mares and um yeah and it was like learning by doing and, and did that give you just a, a huge level of satisfaction being more hands-on being more engaged in the in the process and then seeing seeing the results at the end of the day rather than as you said just being weekenders 
Yes, very much. Because um, in the end, I was rather doing the mistakes by myself than I would see others do it. And um, I was asking a lot of uh, veterinarians and uh, feeding specialists how they could help me. And it was very satisfying. And um, it was a tough way sometimes, even as a woman um, starting here. And But it felt right. And as we were learning by doing, um, we were raising our young bloodstock outside we decided this because we felt right for the horses and during tough winters. And um, I think this was one of our key solution for raising tough and sound race horses. And then Dane Dream came along very soon and brought us so much confidence in our operation. I, I guess every, every breeder in the world, if they really want to succeed on the international stage and really feel they've cracked the game, they need a, a marquee horse. They don't come. They don't come any bigger, especially not in in German or European bloodstock than Dane Dream, the the brilliant Arc winner, the brilliant King George winner, in which he defeated no no lesser horse than Nathaniel. Um, just just try and explain um what what that mare meant and means to you. Yeah, Dane Dream. Uh, she was a normal foal. We never. Uh, uh, saw her as a as a tough racehorse um, she was normal and um, we, we brought her to our trainer because she was not good enough to to sell at the sales for, for money and because she was born on the 7th of May she was a little bit laid back and the trainer said oh yeah it's a nice finish she can win the race but she will not be black type it's not your not not the style of horses you need and um, so we decided to to sell her as a breezer and um, she breathed well but nobody wants to buy her at, on in the ring so after the the sales i tried to sell her so uh, finally i found somebody a stupid and he bought for nine thousand instead of ten what was a reserve yeah and then the the story started, and um, um, it was uh, after one and a half years she was uh, the arc winner. And uh, for us, yeah, of course, financial it was a nightmare. But this is not so important because to to breed such a horse uh, on our farm from the beginning to the end, it's a really milestone for our start and for ourselves. And we, had, we were very lucky to to be in Paris with with both child, children and and together as a family and yeah and um, what is really very nice in England or in France as a breeder you are respected and you are on the same page mm -hmm. than the owner and the jockey and the trainer and so we we were in front of the big tribunes with sixty thousand spectators and yeah. So you've got the big sale next week, the premier sale at BBAG starting on the on the second. You've got 14 yearlings for sale. You've got some wonderful pedigrees as well. You've got Lope de Vegas, See the Stars, Tudan Hot Zoffany showcasing. Uh, but you've got to do Barwe Philly out of your German Oaks winner, Diamanta. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about her and what you're expecting from her. Well, she's a, she's a princess. Um, yeah, I hope everything goes well. Personally... <laughs> I hate to send her to the sale while we have to, <laughs> but she's really nice. She's really nice. She's um, a lot like her mother from the coat um, and looks like a Dubabi from the body. So um, I'm excited to see how the crowd will like her.
And and of of the others, you, you're using some some established stallions and some new ones as well. I'm I'm interested to to know how you feel. Say a stallion like Tudan Hot's going to go down as a as a son of Dubawi, and the the progeny of Dubawi seems to be making good stallion sons. I like Tudan Hot a lot. I have this yearling colt, um, and I have a foal, and both have a lot of quality. I, I really do like him, and um, yeah, I'm hoping they will make a good impression. And we are very excited to see uh, if he brings only uh, sprinters or milers, or maybe because of his pedigree, because of his family, he's able to to bring some uh, longer distance horses. We never know. So it's a really open book. But uh, physically, we, we like him and, and his uh, crop a lot. Um, and, and just finally... Do you have a do you have a star of the future that you're going to race in in Europe in in your colours? Is there a is there a horse that you're really excited about unleashing on 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 France and the UK? No, in the moment our most international horse is November, and um, I think last year she was the best European Guinness winner, and um, it was so frustrating to see her last year in the Coronation Stakes as you had like 40 millimeters of rain. And I think uh, if the ground was not have, have been not so soft, I think she would have been placed. But um, but she was fourth, yes. Okay. <laughs> was near, near near the end, so it was really tough. But, but there are some racehorses in the making. But um, as a, I, I cannot really say who's the next November. I don't know yet. I really have to with, say this year we we're a little bit more silent. Um, you know, with the two years old in Germany, we are a little bit more quiet than than in England or other countries. So they are starting now, and uh, we will see on the racetrack which ones is is good. We have some nice pedigrees in our in our racing stables, and of course, um, yeah, we are hoping uh, for our own stallion Wildfahrt next year, the first yearlings. Uh, coming this year, he had the first folds, and um, yeah, it's it's a special horse um, to 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 win uh, in England uh, a sprint group race to be placed in one of the best uh, sprint uh, group one in England with a German horse, German line, um, and the and, and also the Shamada factor. The, the stallion is very correct, so the folds are very very correct. You have a very good body. So we are hopeful. As we know, it's always difficult with new stallions. Chance is not too high, but um, we are very uh, confident with the, with the, with the, with the um, new folds. Yeah, he covered quite a lot of mares. I, in the first two books, like 70, number, uh, 70 mares he covered. So we're very happy, and um, the folds are very, very good. We are we're very pleased to see the quality of the stallion. Gregor, Julia, best of luck next week. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Okay, thanks to Gregor and Julia, and good luck to them. They've got a, an important runner this weekend in Baden-Baden as well. Uh, Cornelius is with me still, and Cornelius has a tip for you. I thought it was striking that Tom Marquand has gone to Hamilton today for five. A couple of them for William Haggis, one for Lucinda Russell, who incidentally we mostly associate with jump racing, but she's had six winners this flat season, strike rate of uh, between one in four and one in five. Um, but uh, he also rides one for Tom Ward called Royal Athena, number six, 
in the 510 race. The Y Settle IT Network's restricted maiden stakes. This horse Royal Athena was third on debut at Kempton. That run was dripping with encouragement. Uh, Tom Marquand riding it. Number six, Royal Athena, 510 Hamilton. And if you have a chance to go to Hamilton, you'll uh, see Tom Marquand in action in five of the races there. Excellent, Cornelius. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, August the 26th. Don't forget, Charlotte will be back late this evening with the Saturday edition, uh, previewing all tomorrow's racing. Uh, but from all of us, we will see you on Monday. Bye-bye.